Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. Welcome back for season four. Uh, my name is Bill, and I'm joined here, as always, with Steve. Yo. So, there's been a pretty decent gap in between the last time you were here versus now. Yeah. So, what's the story? Where have you been, Obi-Wan? Um, Obi-Wan, yeah, very good, <laughs> if anybody's been watching that series. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everybody knows I've been in school for the bowling um, licensing. Um, I'm a certified pin setter now. I still am out in Wichita. Um, I kind of had an issue. Um, I was uh, involved in a uh, high stakes uh, bowling tournament and uh, some gentleman uh, made me an offer of cash uh, supplement to grease the pins, as they would say, to, you know, kind of make it easier. And a guy and I had three guys on the same team bowl at 300, all three of them. That's crazy. Um, so, yeah, it raised a lot of red flags. There was an investigation. So I'm kind of back in Jersey to kind of let that smooth over. You're, uh, you're, you're staying low. For I'm the like people. Obi-Wan in Tatooine after the entire <laughs> Jedi Order fell uh, at the end of Episode 3. So what you see in the Obi-Wan prequel series um, is essentially what's going on for me on the run from the uh, bowling commission in Wichita. <laughs> yeah, That's funny. Mm-hmm. It, it almost sounds uh, something similar to like the movie Kingpin. Basically. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you really Munson that one. I sure did. <clears throat> Speaking of Munson, well, I guess that for this episode, since it's been so long, I mean, this is the longest break we've ever had in between seasons. Yeah. Like ever. It's my longest break that I've had ever. Yeah. Ever, and ever. so much has happened. Yeah. Oh. So basically, this is like a new and interesting episode, per se. New and interesting. <laughs> Insert sound clip. <laughs> New and interesting. <laughs> like the old uh, the Monster Jam Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> I'll make sure to add like harmonies on yeah, top yeah, of yeah. it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you'll find out about that joke later on in the season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So speaking of Munson, Metallica, Stranger Things. Yeah. I, I didn't, I knew there was going to be something epic. Yeah. With that. Actually. Yeah. This is all, oh yeah, duh. Today's August 1st, 2022. And if you haven't watched Stranger Things season four yet, I I guess skip forward like a couple minutes. Let's put a whole like blip in there where it's just like a we'll be right back with a spoiler logo just in case. Yeah, yeah I mean. <laughs> yeah, um, if you're watching this on YouTube, just uh, skip ahead until you see the uh, spoiler free section. Yes. So. When I saw the character of Eddie, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, finally. Yeah. And then I knew there was going to be something epic going on. I had no idea it was going to be Metallica. Well, first, the buildup of his character essentially was always great because timeline, it was perfect. I mean, and I think after, like, the first couple episodes, well, at least when that first half of the season dropped, there was information that was provided a few days after it was released where even, like, uh, the patch on the back of his denim jacket over his leather was a patch given from the Ronnie James Dio estate. So yeah. it was like a legitimate patch of the time frame. I mean, so his character was the one thing I love about Stranger Things is they take a lot of like care to their writing. A Very lot. precise. They keep the, you know, the essence of whatever decade they're in, whatever specific year they're in, and they were pay attention to the small details. And like little things like that, I always find better because then it makes the character more fucking authentic. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like they they just take so much pride in all of it. Yeah. 
I mean, like, let's go back to season three, the Starcourt Mall. Yeah. Like, if you like, if you had thought, fallen into a time capsule or some shit, and you had no idea that you were in there for fucking forty years. Yeah. And you came out in the Starcourt Mall. You yeah. would believe that you haven't left time at all. And what the thing about it is, too, it's one of those shows where it's so popular. But I've yet to see a video come out about like mistakes and fuck ups and things like that. Like you watch shows from, you know, or movies that are like, well, huge budgets. And it's like from mm-hmm. like 1986 is when it's shot and are like it's but it's, you know, shot in like the 1950s. And all of a sudden they show a scene where there's a fucking plane in the sky during. Oh, exactly. The one that it was Troy with Brad Pitt. Like, during the Greek fucking war, you know, there's and there's a plane, a plane in the fucking <laughs> sky at one of the courts. And then the Game of Thrones thing where they forgot to remove the uh, fucking Starbucks, Starbucks cup. cup. Like, these are big budget, huge production shows and little yeah. details like that that, come on, man. Like, you know, during the medieval times, nobody was going to get in a fucking ice smoke a latte, you know, exactly. in between the walkers trying to invade the wall. No one was uh, no one was getting their basic white bitch on. No, no, no. <laughs> but apparently they were in uh, the Lannister kingdom. So, yeah. Maybe there was one that they just weren't talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, anything's possible. But also going back to the Munson thing, did you see the recording where he's like actually playing master? Yeah. And... See, shit like that I like, too, because now it's not like someone just kind of, like, forced into the role of, like, here, let's adapt this. Even though it was recorded by Rob's son. Yeah, Rob um, son. And they played that over. It's still the fact, like, he had a passion to even, like, have this character in mind. He fit the role perfectly, played mm-hmm. it perfectly, brought a real authentic, you know, perception of that character. Let's go back to that for a second. How is the bass player of Metallica's son able to do more justice to a song than the guys that actually wrote it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, at first, when he was playing it, I was like, oh, they just pulled a guitar stem, whatever. They made it work. Yeah. And then there was, like, a couple little sections in there where I was like, okay, this isn't the same track. Yeah. And then come to find out it's Robert's son. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. How do you feel about when, like, pop culture shows like this create a, um, I guess, like, an influx of, you know, fans, I guess you could say, for older music that didn't even know it existed? Well, I'm not one to be, like, a gatekeeper type thing. Well, and plus, especially not with a band like Metallica anymore. Of course. Because Metallica is so, like, they're so, like, mainstream. They're so in the middle of everything that literally any, like, everyone knows Enter Sandman. Yeah. And there's probably a good chance that everyone, mostly everyone has heard Master of Puppets. Yeah. Metallica is, like, the ACDC now. You know what I mean? They're the ACDC of metal. Everyone's heard them. Everyone knows about them. So, like, in that aspect i can't be like super upset but it is kind of cool though that they that these kids are getting into metallica based off of that album yeah you know and it's not like hey i heard saint anger and i thought it was pretty good yeah yeah that, i mean yeah it is a good uh that's like the part that i always say like my favorites right like maybe if i'm going to introduce someone it's got to be master of puppets just mm-hmm. a good start but my thing is is that i find funny is that a lot of like bands from that era like the kate bush thing too was also yeah huge and the cool thing about that is is kate bush has the rights to all of her music and i saw like a little post the one time she's like where mega rich now mega rich because of the royalties that she's gotten from that song being streamed since stranger things and i think that's mm-hmm. great because because it's getting a lot of respect back to these artists where, you know, most kids of like younger generations, they don't like I couldn't just like 
put on Metallica and get you to have the interest initially. Like nowadays, most people, the way they think is like, as long as it's tied into something that's already popular and something that I'm enjoying, Mm -hmm. then I'll find the interest in it. So for instance, if this is now three years in the past and I'm sitting down with, you know, my 14 year old nephew at the time saying like, yo, check this out. Like, and try to put on master of puppets. There's no immediate interest, Yeah, but they love stranger things. So then that song comes on and then it's funny. It's like, Oh, what was that? And I got to go back. Exactly. I tried to get to listen to this three years ago, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but it's cool because again, like then you see like even Fleetwood Mac had the whole thing when dreams blew up and Mm -hmm. now Kate Bush is blowing up. Metallica is blowing up and it's getting a lot more interest because I also think simultaneously, and this is again, probably my, very narrow-minded perception and opinion that there was just more talent back then. Oh, yeah. Like, music today, I'm not saying is bad. I'm just saying the talent that's necessary is not as important. Hmm. You know, like, John Bonham and, like, Led's... Like, you had to have talent to even, like... You didn't have the luxury of technology. You just had to have a good voice. I mean, most of those people, and I even going back to, like, the Kill 'Em All days... One of the big reasons that was a selling point for most people because they were no longer looking at these faces of these glam bands. They were like some ugly motherfuckers. Yeah. But they had talent. And they brought like something to the music scene that hadn't been really done before and yeah, exactly. created history. About the Kate Bush thing. I'm gonna go out on a on a thing here. People are this is gonna this is gonna polarize our audience here. Probably. I am fucking over that song. Well, you know what you need to do? What? You need to do what I do now. I mix it up with the placebo cover placebo covered it okay they did a cover album and that's on there so i kind of mix it up just to keep the same aesthetic but well, just a different version of here's it. the thing dude this song has like transcended past you know what whatever genre it was considered when it had come out yeah dude it's on fucking 104.5 it's on 95.7 it's on q102 it's on fucking 96.5 i have yet to hear it on 93.3 but it's literally on every station in between it's gonna be on 94.1 which is now the eagle station all of a sudden there's gonna play it yeah but here's my major gripe with this song and i think you can attest to this i i said this i said this to nicole i don't feel like that would be max's favorite song considering where she grew up and what she was into Something tells me she was probably more into something like Black Flag or the Circle Jerks. That's kind of what her character gave you an idea of in season three as well. Maybe the Beach Boys. But there's also, too, the hidden notion that if you look at me as a person, you wouldn't see me playing Red Taylor's version by Taylor Swift in my alone time. That's true. You know, but it happens. I mean, I guess. But... You, like I said, you, you just put the show into perspective and everything they've showed you about her. Yeah. Like, like what would lead you to believe that would be her favorite song? Yeah. You and know it's what I mean? also, too, um, I always thought to that scene, which is funny because that was ne- that's the one thing that would have been made more sense. Like, every season, if you can kind of go back, there is, like, tied connections to, like, okay, now this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, throughout this entire season particularly, I was like, Where's Vecna in this whole storyline? Are they just introducing a new character? Are they introducing a new plot line? Where's and then they tied it all in at the mm-hmm. end, of course. Um, but for Lucas to have that much pressure and just know it and have it, it's two things in my mind. It would have been cooler in the event that um, you know, there was like a scene in season three where that was like a big connection piece and like they made yeah. a big like moment of it where it's like, why did they make such a big moment of that? And then they're like, oh shit, now I see. And the other thing I thought of. What a lot of fucking pressure for Lucas. Yeah, what if man. he got that shit wrong? 
He was the unsung hero of this season. I'm telling you right now, he if really I watched was. you fucking floating up right now, I'd have to just like start scrolling through Van Halen songs <laughs> to figure it the fuck out. I'm not really sure. You might break all your limbs before I could uh, get the right one on that. <laughs> and for all I know, is it some like Zach Wild hidden track that I didn't even know existed that you've been listening to in your free time that I, you know. It, honestly, at this point in time, it's probably midlife crisis. I've noticed you've been on that Faith No More Dude, kick. it's just like, I don't know. Like, there's just something about that song. Angel like, Dust is a great album. I think it's something, I don't know. I think I have like an OCD type thing when it comes to certain things that I find interesting. Yeah. I've like completely overanalyzed that song way more than anyone should have. Like, I'm pretty sure at this point in time, like me and Mike Patton can sit, so can sit down and talk about that song at length. Yeah. And we could probably be matched. Like in talking about and it, you even say some things about that, it. that he's the only one that knows about it. That exactly. he was also thinking at the time that he has never expressed to anybody else. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. It's just something about me that, like, when I find something interesting, I beat it to absolute death. Yeah. And at this point in time, I think that would be the song to bring break me out of Vecna's curse. Has actually, you know, it's yeah, funny crazy. too. Spotify did a playlist of songs that would break you from Vecna. Right. It was like the upside down playlist. Yeah, I went on that fucking shit. All it was was just a promotion thing for for Stranger Things. Because I had, like, the re-recorded Rocky Like a Hurricane from the show. It had the Kate Bush song. Because that would I, definitely get me out of it, the re-recorded version of Rocky Like a Hurricane. Yeah, it wasn't even yeah. good. Like, it yeah. was just like, like, you know, granted, those dudes, like, fucking 80 now. But it wasn't, doesn't have the power of the original one. I know. And that Kate Bush song, that would just trap me with that. That would close everything. Vector would be like, uh, sorry. He'd feel like bad mine. for you. He'd be like feeling bad for you. Like, yeah. Because it'd be like, you'd be like begging to die at this point. <laughs> Is this your yellow submarine moment? I guess I'll just let you go. <laughs> <laughs> You've dealt with enough. <laughs> it's your yellow submarine trip all over. Yeah, literally. <laughs> car ride with uh, Kate Bush. But like, that's the thing though. Like, you know, I, I'll give it to Kate Bush. At the point in time, it probably was a pretty decent song. But. And the high, like looking at it now, how she was able to secure all of the rights, all the publishing, the record companies must have been like, we're not touching this piece of shit. I know. Like, we're not touching this. You can fucking have it. There's some like 90 year old man that probably passed on it and was like animate about it. Who was like, to this day, up until the point of that release was like, that was his like defining moment in life was to tell Kate Bush to fuck off. Yeah. We don't want no parts of this. You know who was a producer on that, right? Who? Gilmore. David Gilmore. Really? He's the one that found her. Good guy, man. She's only had one. Uh, I I don't want to say she's only had one live performance, but she never played live at all. Really? There's only one recording of that live. Yeah. And Gilmore plays guitar on it. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Found that out That's the other day. That's a good fact. That's a very interesting fact. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I like David Gilmore. So, to not turn this into a complete Stranger Things episode. Yeah. <laughs> new and Stranger Things. Yeah, new and sh- I like that. <laughs> That's the name of this episode. Look at that. That's how it happens right there. So Actually, you know things. what? I'm writing this down right now. <laughs> New and Stranger Things. That's how it happens. We have a uh, complicated formula here at Rage Against the Mainstream. Often imitated, never replicated. Of course. <laughs> so, I guess I want to go... Uh, well, we didn't even do fucking music history yet yeah let's just give some few things for the fans out there yeah so 
On this day in music history, I'll let you start this one off, Steve. Uh, August 1st, 1942, beloved singer, frontman of the iconic jam band Grateful Dead, Jerry Garcia is born. Uh, since we won't actually be on the airwaves in the following week, on August 9th, he actually died. So, within huh. about eight days of his birthday, same, you know, born and died many years later. But yes, Jerry Garcia. Um the funny thing with Grateful Dead is, is I'm like one of those weird fans where I say I like them and I don't get the, um, I don't give the reaction that most people expect when I say that. They think, you know, like if you're a Grateful Dead fan, there's got to be some like underlying, like you're an absolute, you know. You're deadhead. Uh, yeah, like you're a war frat, like you're going to all the you know shows and following them. And it's like, I really like them, but I don't like them to the extent that like you're supposed to like them, I guess. <laughs> um I'm not a fish fan. I'll start and say I never right got now. it. I never I, got the. And that's what dead. I mean. Like I get it, but I don't. There's never been a point to me that really was like I found that same yeah like phenomenal. And where I work is um uh I work at a uh what should I call this um a rehabilitation center. I'll just call it that. Yeah, for broken bowlers. And I felt so yes. I felt so bad because I did a music group at one point and everybody, it's an hour long group and there's about 20 people. So everyone gets an opportunity to choose a song around the round three, four, five minute mark and, you know, process it afterwards, whatever. And there was this one guy in there and I just didn't know how to like, you know, put my you know foot down and trying to establish boundaries. You know, he was like 75 years old, just stuck in his ways and he picked um, and of course, like every major dead fan, you can't just listen to the recording of Shakedown Street or whatever song you choose. You can't choose the album version. You got to choose that weird, obscure 22 minute version from a specific show in 1969, <laughs> you know, like, it, like on the date and time, like, because yeah. like Dick's picks and all that stuff. So we picked a version of the song. I didn't realize this had already happened. So as soon as it was his turn to pick a song, I could see the faces in the room knowing what was about to happen. This man picked the version of Shakedown Street that lasted about 25 minutes long. And nobody knew what to say. This is an old, old man. And nobody knew how to like, yo, like turn this shit off. We're sick of this. So we, I listened to about, I want to say 14 minutes before I said, let's give everybody else a chance, you know? And he, that 14 minutes was not good enough for him. These deadheads, man, I'll tell you, this is not good enough. Not good enough. I can only imagine what that would look like. I'm pretty like sure he's, like, you, like you ever seen, uh, remember Billy Madison? Yeah. Where Steve Buscemi has the list of people to kill? I'm probably on there. He wrote it with the lipstick. I cut Shakedown Street off 11 minutes too soon. <laughs> yeah. It was a damn shame. Uh, moving on here to 1971, talking about earlier with a total fuck up and missed opportunity, uh, Tony K keyboardist quits yes he is later replaced by rick wakeman just in time for yes to reach the upper stratosphere of all prog rock bands yep. worldwide yeah always think about that we should do an episode about that what like guys that, that left, left right before you know it's funny you mentioned that, I just watched soon. a video on that oh really yeah did you know that weezer's uh original guitar player left in the middle of the recording of the blue album oh could you imagine that? Yeah. Just like talk about the ultimate kick in the balls. Yeah, I think like about like because like Dave Mustaine with Metallica, like he did his own, but Ron McGovney, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? He was on all those demos and EPs. I think the No Life Told Leather before Cliff came in. Mm -hmm. um, think of Mark Stone. Paul Diamore of Tool. He yeah. was there for Undertow. Fucking, uh, what's his name with Nirvana, the second guitarist? Oh, um, 
our resident Nirvana guy. He, and he quit like just yeah. like he re- he quit right after Bleach was recorded, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then you have Mark Stone who was in Van Halen and left and this they went up like Anthony episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Missed opportunities in Stranger Things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is. Well, we'll write that one down. That'll be another topic. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> So, uh, moving on to 1981. 1981, um, back when it was actually a very watched and enjoyable uh, television network, MTV uh, premieres 12.01 a.m. on this date with the most known first ever music video, Video Killed the Radio Star by Buggles. Um, Uh It's cool because, I, I mean, it's just my childhood, your childhood, um, even those before us in this time frame, like waking up in the morning and just turning on MTV before school was like yep. like the motivation I needed to fucking go to school. That's how I knew what to talk about that yes, day. Yes, I know. That's literally, yeah. Because around the see time they're getting up for school, yeah, headbangers exactly. balls on. I know, man. <laughs> and if you go back and just see, there's just like an early vibe of like all that era of MTV that just, it was like, I don't know what it was. It was just such a good feeling to watch that. And it's funny. Cause then I was watching MTV this morning and like my like ridiculousness was on. And I, yeah. Is that like the only thing that's on that channel anymore? It's literally the only thing on that fucking channel. Like Rob Deerdeck owns MTV. He basically does. I he don't know what to. happened. Like they sold their soul to Rob or he sold his soul to somebody to get that. It was his, going. uh, the fucking hypnotherapy that he went to. Jesus. Yeah. You know that, right? That's part of his story. Yeah, he went to went to a hypnotherapist to get him on track to be a business mogul. Well, there it is, and it happened. Now he owns MTV. Yeah, now we he, don't know it. It's a fucking Illuminati. Rob Deerdeck owns MTV. I think that might that that might be a pretty good clickbaity title. Yeah, Rob Deerdeck owns MTV. There it is, right there. However, in the land before Rob Deerdeck, we're gonna call this BR, nineteen ninety six BR. Um, MTV2 debuted. I don't know if it was at 12.01, but MTV2 became a channel. But I'm pretty sure that show's on there, too. <laughs> like, I, anything with MTV, even if it's like MTV Espanol, like, it's, yeah. he's on there. Me amo Rob Deerdeck. Yeah, como esta? Like, yeah, he's everywhere. It is like the Carlos Mencia of late night Nickelodeon, but yeah. Rob and Ridiculousness on 24-7. Um, MTV two, I spent way more time on. I did too. There was better shit on that. I, I agree. Well, because around the time that we were introduced to MTV, it was when all the bullshit That's started. That's right when reality TV started. Like exactly. The real world started coming on. And MTV two, there's only two channels you can go to to get good shit in the morning. One was MTV two and the other one was Fuse. Fuse. Yep. Fuse BH1 was, was okay for a period of time, too. Yes. BET, I really liked BET and like the, the morning wake up with, uh, what is it, 106 and Park usually had some like good music videos on in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, MTV do is just like nonstop like music. And then yeah. the unplug sessions and stuff that yeah. was still pretty relevant in the mid 90s. That's where, that's where I'd find Headbangers Ball on MTV2 yeah. in the morning. Yep. So I'll never forget that day. Got Here, nothing. Fucking seeing Death Walking Terror for the first time. Yeah. My way to school, and I was just like thinking, like as I'm walking to school, like how am I supposed this to go to school it. now? This is it. Like this is the coolest shit I've ever heard. Yep. Let me go find out if anyone else ever heard of this Cannibal yep. Corpse band. Yep. And of course, no one did. Yep. So then I went home and jumped on LimeWire and had to find it. Probably downloaded the wrong version three different times before you got it. Yeah, I'm pretty like sure there was some like obscure piece. cover yep. version. I was like, yep. man, this must be the early stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I. It's just funny. Death Walking Terror. I'm thinking now with like music videos, man. It's just I can't remember the last time I turned on 
TV at all to watch music videos. Mm-hmm. And like back in the day, music videos were so like part of the song. Like to this day, the first thing that comes to mind is like the Soul Survivor music video by Young Jeezy, like yep. where they did kind of like a mashup of like Paid in Full and did that whole like scenario of like what that movie was about. And I just remember how like even in the club with Fifty Cent or how we do with the game. Like I remember music videos back in the day being like a focal point of why I liked the song to begin with. Mm-hmm. Even like the tool videos when they were first coming on MTV. I just, now it's like. Uh. I remember a music video that kind of like changed my way of thinking was um, uh, Through the Eyes of the Dead, Failure in the Flesh. I believe that's what it was. And dude, it was like, yeah, it was the most brutal shit I had ever seen. And it was like, it was them in like in the woods. And like, there were certain like sections in like black and white. And I was like, this is the coolest shit ever. And there was about zombies and shit. Yeah. And, it was just brutal. Yeah. And that was like a uh, cannibal corpse was devoured by vermin where it was like black and white and it looked like a fucking snuff film the yeah. entire time. And I was just like, it was like one of those videos you would watch. And like, if I heard my dad, I'd just like lower it. Like, I hope news coming in. I remember doing that with the visceration plague. Mm-hmm. When I first, when that video first came out, I remember like, I was like trying to be real quiet downstairs. My dad was sleeping on the couch because he had gotten <laughs> in, you know, early. Well, my dad always worked overnights. So, you know, he's, like, just getting home and, like, getting to sleep and all of a sudden. <laughs> I hated you. Yeah. I hated you. And literally, because, like, for those two particular Cannibal Corpse songs, it's just. <laughs> and, like, that's it. Like, that, and, uh, to me, as a teenager, I was like, this is the best shit ever. Yeah. Life changing. There is nothing heavier. <laughs> MTV, if you're listening, you did change lives at one point now. You're just a disappointment now. We're not mad. We're just disappointed. Did you grow up in BR? <laughs> Hit us up on our social medias. <laughs> Are you traumatized by the, the new endeavors of MTV? You may be entitled to compensation. <laughs> AR. <laughs> That's MTV in a nutshell. BR and AR. Yeah. Yep. There it is. So that wraps up music history for today. <laughs> so going back to the idea of... Um, <laughs> new and stranger things um lots happened man a lot has happened a lot has music happened since the last time we've been on i don't know what you want to start with particularly um, well i i wrote down like uh i wrote down a few like pretty bit like decent ones that happened mm-hmm. um one that i that i would like to say is something that i could have seen coming but i wasn't sure when it was going to happen all the members of As I Lay Dying quit the band. Yeah. They all left, except for the one guitar player. Nick Hippa is now in, for my other thing, the reunited God Forbid. Mm-hmm. He's playing guitar now, and basically everyone else just fucking up and left. Yeah. That makes me wonder, though, if they're going to reunite Woven War and maybe do that, because I thought Woven War was way better than As I Lay Dying anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just kind of funny. And like all of them had like different reasons, but it was all like, if all you motherfuckers left and the only person that's left is Tim, there's probably something there. You know what I mean? It's not being said. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not, uh, you know, casting stones or anything, but if everyone else is left, kind of a common denominator, in this. there's probably something there. Yeah. Tim, get in touch with us. We want to hear your side of the story. Hit us up on our social medias. N- maybe not hit us up. Maybe just write to us. Yeah. Comment. 
Yeah, please. <laughs> I value my life. Yeah. Dude, if that motherfucker came busting through this door, there would be some serious problems. Probably. Like, I don't even think, like, me and you would be able to handle him for, like, eat. Like, maybe we keep him busy for, like, a minute. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And then it would just be, it would be over. You just have to grease the floor and he'll be there his ACL. <laughs> yeah, you'd see me and Steve doing, like, uh, shit from Home Alone. Yeah. Half Come and get yeah. me. Yeah. So, also, um, there's a lot of new albums that came out from a variety of different artists and genres, but the one thing I want to talk about since we kind of discussed it briefly talking about, this is older than As I Lay Dying, but bands and ways we see them and also as opposed to breaking up, but reuniting, mm-hmm. Rage Against the Machine. Yup. Um, we talked briefly too. Um, so I technically um, have tickets. I don't personally have tickets. Uh, someone I'm very close with has tickets um, and has had these tickets for quite some time. And there appears to be a, um, I want to say, a family obligation that's preventing the opportunity to go. But I saw Rage at least on the first show back, and it was good. It was good. I Rage gets a lot of heat with their political insight, things like that. And this goes back to episodes that we've done previously, where. You know, separating the artists from the ideals and the understanding that, yeah, whatever. If there's a lot of things I don't agree with and there's a lot of things I do agree with. Yeah, but that's their whole I, basis. Yeah, I'm going to tell you right. Exactly. I'm going to tell you right now. But it's also like the contradiction of it. Like, um, uh, I forget who it was called out Tom Morello for his pedal, you know, with the uh, the star on it and everything. And just, you know, it's like how much money, you know, was spent on that thing. And, you know, uh-huh. what kind of like slave labor essentially constructed that in China and how much of a contradiction that is. And granted, yeah, okay, it's all good. But to see Rage live, um, granted, ticket prices are fucking through the roof, which, I mean, of course, for any band that hasn't been around for quite some time that has a lot of popularity behind them, like people are going to go and it's going to cost money. But that is a bucket list band. Yeah, but that also, I mean, not to turn this into like a full-blown hating on rage thing by any means, but that pretty much goes against everything they stand for. It 100% does. You know? Yes. But they, they took the idea of capitalism that they hate this is so what, much. This is what, and that's what disturbs me, and this is where it puts me in a really, like, even Tool. I love Tool, but for you to release a LP and pretty much sell it for a thousand fucking dollars, like, come on. Like, yeah. come on. But... See, the thing with Rage is, again, it's a lot of the contradictions and what their music is supposed to be for, and then they turn around and do the complete opposite. It's so hard for me to sit there and say that, like, I don't want to see Rage on this. Exactly. Because especially the way they sound, like, it'd be one thing if it was, like, Vince Neil up there type stylings (laughs) of, like, Motley Crue and a Rage rendition, I would just be able to rationalize better off, like, yeah, your contradictions make me not want to see your music, and also the fact that there's just nothing that's appealing about your shows anyway. Mm -hmm. But to see them perform the way they do, it puts me in a really fucking, like, damn, man. Because, like, I mean, there's so many bands, if you're going to think that have been a part of your lifestyle that were before and popular before you were even around to go to shows. Yep. And now they're still touring, even though there was a period of time where you didn't think it was possible. And then it's, you know, that time might pass and you may never be able to see them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the you know, they're a ticking time bomb as it is anyway. Yeah. And, you know, they all have successful shit they did outside of that band. Yep. I mean... I'm not saying this could potentially be the last chance you ever get to see them. But then again, I mean, for how much those tickets are, I mean, you're not going to catch me. I already seen it on YouTube, so I know that it's good. Yeah. 
And if you haven't seen it yet, I highly suggest to go watch it. You will not be disappointed. Yeah, they sound good. Incredible. It's even like Red Hot Chili Peppers, like getting John Frusciante back. Like one of the things about Rage um, and bands like Red Hot Chili Peppers is like that aggression and that like upbeat, you know, stage performance is always something that you go to see them for, mm-hmm. you know? And that was the thing I was kind of worried about seeing Zach De La Roca and seeing him like how he would be on stage. And dude, he provides like the same energy Fucking as he a. did in Woodstock days. And you know what's so funny too with like their setup? It's so minimalistic. I know. There's like nothing. Like there's no light shows. There's no like nothing crazy. There's just a Music. video screen behind them and that's it. Yeah. It's just, it was such a cool fucking show to see them. Yeah. And to see them come back. I know. It was the first show. It was just incredible band i definitely want to see however i mean i wish they'd uh practice what they preach just a tiny bit rage 20 dollar tickets it's not too much to ask i think exactly they've been fucking hanging out with dave Grohl or something yeah that i'll never get over that long price to go see eric paid eric paid that money to see them we'll have to talk about that next time he's on yeah and he was like he was like bro it was worth it i was like no it wasn't like i trust me because they're not gonna do anything as good as live at wembley and i didn't pay to watch that shit um, speaking of Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters, we lost Taylor Hawkins this year. Yeah. Um, Foo Fighters did give out the dates of two shows, yeah. tribute shows. And did you see the lineup for those shows? Mm. Dude, the crazy motherfuckers like Stuart Copeland, uh, Alex and Getty from Rush. Dude, there's all kinds of fucking Wolfgang Van Halen's going to be there. There's all kinds of people are paying tribute to Taylor Hawkins. Now... I'm assuming at these shows and during press and shit like that for them, they're probably going to say what the future of Foo Fighters is going to be. I wouldn't be upset if they decided to end the band at this particular point in time. Yeah. You know, in the beginning, it was just Dave Grohl. It was all Dave Grohl. And then it became Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins. And that was it. Now it's the whole thing. Basic, yeah. Exactly. I mean, you're not going to see... I'm not comparing Foo Fighters to Rush by any means, but you're not going to see Alex and Getty get another drummer and go towards Rush. Yeah, I think you're not going to have another band or, you know, you're not going to have Van Halen replace Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. And Foo Fighters, too, has been really one of those bands that's kind of made their name through the consistency of touring, too. Uh Like every new Foo Fighters album, there's never been anything that's come out that's like wowed me in the past several years, to say the least. 2011 was the last time I was wowed by Foo Fighters. Yeah. And. Yeah, I don't know. With things like this, and this is going to bring us into another topic of discussion when we talk about bands losing important members and continuing to go on, um, foreshadowing to the next thing I'm going to bring up. Um, I don't know, man. It's I think it just does it a disservice, I guess, especially like like I like what Joy Division did when Joy Division lost Ian Curtis. They reformed as a band, but as New Order, you know, they were playing similar music, but it was new. It was fresh and they weren't going out there projecting themselves as Joy Division, playing Joy Division songs. There were certain moments where they did cover Hmm. songs in very limited fashion. But, you know, I don't know. I think it's really tough because you're right. Those first couple albums, it was really just Dave Grohl. Mm-hmm. Like, he could have done whatever he wanted. He was, like, a Chuck Schulner mastermind, his project. But then, exactly. yeah, he took on a life of its own, where then it became, like, the members that were in the band, but especially Taylor Hawkins has been, yeah. like, is staple to that band. Yep. You know? But, yeah, and then also, too, just, um, you know, the circumstances of his death. I always, me personally, I get... I guess it's just like my own personal bias. I get irritated, especially when it's like substance related, that people mm. just have such 
like comments to say about it and are just like, you know, that's stupid. What an idiot. And, you know, like, how could you do that? And it's just sad because, you know, substance use is obviously a problem in our country. I mean, especially mm-hmm. in our state, um, but in the country as a whole. And like this just goes to show you like with certain and another individual I'm going to bring up has, um, you know, new news as well. But, you know, celebrities aren't immune to that. I mean, no. Taylor Hawkins had a documented uh, struggles with drugs and, you know, for people to come out and make it seem like this was just like a personal choice and that, you know, he did it to himself type attitude. It sucks because it ties in with mental health. It ties mm-hmm. in with, you know, understanding and breaking that stigma. And it, it's sad that like a lot of artists like this become a martyr to that because then it really exposes like the need for awareness. But, you know, more and more people when like things like this happen, it's like just, you know, let the people who care and, you know, grieve properly. But the Internet is just such a fucking wild place where you see yes, some of the people come out of work just to say fucking like way Whatever out of pocket want. shit for like what? Like, I just I just I like me personally, I find it morbidly interesting that there could be an absolute stranger to see the death of somebody and just for no reason whatsoever. Like fucking idiot. Like why, bro? It almost makes you wish there was like a policing figure. <clears throat> like in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah, just to go around where they just like fuck up strangers on the internet. Yeah, because I get it. Free speech. Say whatever the fuck you want. Nobody's yeah. hearting on that. But at the same exact time, and like, I don't know, like there's a lot of things that I see from time to time and it's just like, I may fucking absolutely hate it. And it's just like, just by not saying anything, I'm saying a lot, you know? Uh-huh. So I just, I don't know, man. Just, yeah, but that Jay and Silent Bob, I'm thinking about that. It's so funny. Did Are you, you say, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> you say around. Jay and Silent Bob are fucking clown shoes? Yeah, their entire royalties just went around and fought everybody on the internet. I'm surprised that hasn't been made into like a meme yet where it's like things that you wish you could do when you see someone's yeah, right. comments on the internet because it's so relevant to today. Uh, um, but yeah, tying that in to bands that continue on despite missing key members. Well, uh, I was going to say, do you want to save that for another topic? Let's save that for another topic. Yeah, we'll save that for another, because that could be a whole... Stay tuned. Um, Another huge fucking blow to the music industry was uh, Trevor from the Black Dye Murder. Yeah. Yeah, that was a real sudden one, too. And um, Mm -hmm. it's sad that sometimes this is what it takes, but then I went back. I was really listening to Black Dahlia for like, several weeks after that happened like really just really really listening to like especially nocturnal and unhallowed oh yeah what a vocalist man like for him to incorporate all those different elements of style in every song um and he was just like never like that mainstream like corpse grinder figure you know yeah, exactly. but he, like black dahlia murder was always that like middling of the road just consistent no bullshit man no like i don't know man and it sucked because it's weird again going back to seeing bands and having opportunities to see them and not seeing them and then you never know yeah like you never know now it's like that opportunity's gone like black dahlia murder could absolutely get another vocalist if they chose they're to they're, do that. Not, they're to. not going to but i'm saying even an event at this point even if they did it's not black dahlia murder no like that is another person of a band that you can't you'll never get that back brandon ellis the guitar player from black dahlia murder he now plays with exodus really we just released new music too. Was he on the I, new album? No, he wasn't on the new album. So he he's he's touring with them oh, right now. Oh, okay. And he's a bad motherfucker too. Yeah. But um, I guess to uh, lighten this up for a couple more deaths, um, Travis Barker got married twice Good in the him. span. Good for him. Um, I think it was like March fourth. He got married to uh, Kourtney Kardashian, mm-hmm. and then April eleventh, he got married again. 
Yeah. In a different city. Yeah. <laughs> because you have to do that now. Oh, yeah. If you didn't get married twice, did it really happen? Are you really married? Yeah. Are you really married? Yeah. You need to talk to uh, Nicole about this. Yeah. No. I don't think I could. I don't think I could stand another wedding. Um, I did want to mention something relevant to Des, but on the good news. So back on July twenty second, um, artist who's no longer with us, Mac Miller, they re released uh, one of his mixtapes. I love life. Thank you. Um, these mixtapes were part of his Road to a Million fans that he started back in two thousand eleven, where every hundred thousand fans, you know, he would. Uh, release songs every time he gained that much following and he would keep releasing, releasing. And once he had a million fans, he released his mixtape. Um, same with like Faces. Like he has a bunch of mixtapes that um, were released and then, you know, made into albums and then a lot of his estate pulled it back. And the Mac Miller estate is one of like my best examples of like the way to treat posthumous music. They're very mm-hmm. protective of about it. They're very conscientious to make sure what they're releasing, like the artists themselves, they would believe would find integrable. And they re-released this album back on the 22nd. And it's always cool to see that. I think it's really good when it's like handled better with care because not only that, but like you're getting a very authentic, you know, this is what he would have wanted. Mm-hmm. And he's another artist, like same thing, you know, he was one that I almost treat it like in the same context, like Amy Winehouse, like just starting to like really hit the prime of his career, like was peaking, was, you know, making so much good music. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's gone. Yeah. You know, and it's good stuff like this that there's like old works out there that were pulled from streaming services that are getting put back on there. But again, it's coming from the estate to have that approval Mm -hmm. because I always hated that. I always hate when you get like posthumous music by artists and it's like you're listening to it because you're hearing new, technically new music by this artist. Um, And his biggest one was the album Circles, which was his last release and it was a posthumous release. But, um, you know, the producer of the album had met with him many times before his passing and like was, you know, this is basically what his vision was going to be. And they did it together with the family as well as, and they constructed this album and released it. And it's great, you know, and to see this come out, um, you know, I like seeing that again, because then you get like more opportunity to listen to music that you haven't been able to listen to and, you know, our streaming services. So yeah, that was something that recently, recently came out too. Um, I got a couple more deaths. Mm. These ones hit a little close to home. Actually, not really. But um, Alec John Such, the bass player for Bon Jovi. Mm-hmm. You may know him from particular songs as Wanted Dead or Alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Brett Tuggle. He was the keyboardist for David Lee Roth. He died at the age of 70 of cancer. And he basically put on all the big David Lee Roth shit. So, like, uh, he played on Skyscraper. He played on um, Eat Him and Smile. He left uh, right before um, uh, Little Ain't Enough. But all like the big David Lee Roth songs, this dude played on them. And uh, I mean, I I think he toured with like Farner or some shit. I forget who he toured with afterwards. But he was a touring he was a touring guy after that. But. Yeah, so I think those are the last two that I have of crazy shit that happened. Yeah, God forbid reuniting. And as I'm dying, yeah, I start with those first. I wanted I wanted it to be like sort of happy before we hit it with all the death and destruction yeah. and you know, all that other shit. But um yeah. So I guess that's your uh catch up for 
Well, I want to add to Kendrick months. Lamar dropped a new album, which is probably one of the better hip hop albums. Megadeth dropping new music. Lamb of God dropped some new music as well. But then also everybody's favorite release of this year recently in between the last time we were on was Drake's new album. <laughs> Hit us up if you like Drake's new album at our social medias. I haven't heard uh, what a piece of garbage that was. Oh, it's bad. Speaking of garbage, Ozzy released two new songs. I honestly, just listening to the second, uh, what was it? Which one? The Iomi one or the other one? Yeah, Degregation something. Yeah, that song's like not that bad. Patient number nine, though. Garbage. You heard it here. I wonder. fucking garbage. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) these are at some of the moments. um, And this is my daily tool check-in, by the way. Fear Inoculum is still their worst album of release. (laughs) I digress on most of what I said when that album was dropped. Um, because that's the thing, man. I mean, even with like guys like Ozzy, it's like, there's just that stream credit behind it where, you know, regardless of what they put out, we find a reason to like it Yeah, and it becomes very biased. And I mean, but, but the Tony Iommi, I think there's just something about Tony Iommi's guitar tone that has yes. always like, I found appealing. Like I listen to Paranoid on a regular basis off my turntable just because it produces such a good sound, but it's just his guitar tone is what really mm-hmm. like, that's one of those bands between like Geezer Butler and Bill Ward. Like they're, they're sounds, that whole rhythm it's just so good. It's Sabbath. It's so good. Like that, that doom metal reason. feel, but with that rock and roll influence to it, with that just evil undertone, but mm-hmm. then Ozzy's more upbeat. Everything about Sabbath is just so good. So hearing yeah. Iomi on a new song with Ozzy, that tone, I think that's what's like keeping me like, oh, I have hopes for what's to come. But then you show me patient number nine afterwards and I... Yeah. Uh, and like even with that though I was like trying to find a redeeming quality I'm like the pre-course is kind of cool tried yeah the harmony was cool tried yeah Jeff Beck's kind of cool going back to music videos that are slacking nowadays yeah it's right like, that was the like, fuck was that, that was like the one? biggest trash like I've ever seen some dude from New Jersey Institute of Technology was given like $45 and say hey manifest this fucking video for Ozzy right now yeah right <laughs> and he did this in his free time in between like, finals even the the cartoon for Hellraiser with Lemmy and Ozzy together yeah, like, yeah. that was better yeah like that was like way better yeah but, like, yeah, I don't know, man. I just have this thing with, like, like I, I don't want to be like, Ozzy should give up and he should be done. I don't think that. But it comes to a certain point where it's like, are you tarnishing your name by putting this out? I mean, but out? it's also, too, let's you know? think about this in long term, right? Ordinary man. It's on his discography. Mm-hmm. Albums, as they get released, and I think about the idea of when you're releasing music like this, it's it's the thought that it's going to be there for a while. Like for instance, like I'll go back and listen to Diary of Madman. Yeah. I'll go back and listen to Blizzard of Oz. Um, at any point in your life, do you foresee yourself thinking like I, I kind of feel like I'm in an ordinary man mood? No. You know what I mean? Like and like, <laughs> like even Guns N' Roses. Like the, I guess at some point it's like you're just disc- and that's the one thing I like. I hate that it's because their careers were cut short. But similar things with bands like The Doors or like Nirvana. Um, where their, discogra- their discographies are shorter than what they probably could have been, if not for the result of, you know, tragedy, but it's complete. You know, mm-hmm. like, I'll listen to everything Nirvana dropped at some point. I'll have a reason. Alice in Chains, same way. Like, yep. I'll li- even I'll find a way to listen to Sap just because, like, I'm in that type <laughs> of mood, you know? But this, yeah. there's so many bands where they have, like, four or five albums that are just at the tail end of their career, and it's just, I never see myself in a moment where I'm like, you know, I'm patient number nine. It's kind of just on the brain right now. No, you know? like uh, you're not going to catch me listening to Scream. The the Ozzy. Yeah. you probably, yeah. Have you ever listened to Scream? No, it's not good. That's probably why or, I haven't heard it. 
Like even Osmosis has yeah. more of like a like a soft spot for me than any of the other shit that was released past. Nope. I mean, even Black Rain was good. But I mean, then again, we're all talking about albums that did not feature Zach Wild that I don't like. But I think anyone that has half a brain can go like, okay, yeah, I think I think we're kind of done now. Yeah. It's like I said to you, like when you hear his voice, like the memes you see on Facebook, it's like I asked AI to generate a picture of Elon Musk eating crayons. Yeah, the and, like, uh, Dolly Mini thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like someone had made that meme and said, I asked I asked AI to sing an Ozzy like song. Ozzy, yeah. And boom, that's what it is. It yeah. doesn't sound like him. It doesn't have the same feel. The, the Iomi song is definitely different than the rest of them. But it just doesn't sound like him. Yeah. It, it's just it, it's just not. Yeah. It's like that like that meme, like, you're not my dad. Like that. It's like that meme, but it's like you're not my Ozzy. Like if you just played that song to somebody, it would look and sound probably like a cover band trying to release Ozzy music. It's yes. almost like the Greta Van Fleet to um Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the same person. <laughs> so what do you think? Did you like um, Patient Number Nine? <laughs> Do you think we're way, way, way off uh, with our uh, views of MTV and Rob Deerdeck? Hit us up on our social medias, Facebook.com. Slash Do you prefer BD or BR? BR? BR, AR? I think B- before Deerdeck sounds better. Like uh, BD, BD, like AD, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like BD and AD. Yeah, but they already have an AD, though. But this is our AD. We'll keep it at AR, fine. But AR sounds a little violent. BD, oh, yeah. yeah. Before Deer Deck, after Rob? BB, before Bob, Deer Deck. I don't think he's ever been called Bob. Yeah. What do you think it should be? No. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Get us on a social media page. We're going to have a poll. <laughs> God. BD and AD. Okay. Find us on our social media accounts, <laughs> facebook.com slash RATM podcast, Instagram and Twitter at RATM podcast, or you can write us an email at RATM podcast at gmail.com. But let's do our first suggestions of the week for season four. I'll go first with this one. My suggestion for this week is to check out the 2003, um, posthumous album from Tupac called Tupac Resurrection. My standout track for this is Running, Dying to Live. Mm. Um, I heard this the other day and, uh, you know, hearing Tupac and Biggie on a song together is always really fucking cool. Mm-hmm. And like just the, the fucking, just the lines in this song was just like incredible. Yeah. And I was like, why couldn't this have been like for real? Yep. Yeah, that's another uh, growing up song i heard on tv yep yeah 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 uh my recommendation is going to be the 1992 release by the band cayuse blues for the red sun the song i am picking is green machine nice little like i never got into them at all like ever 
I didn't either for a while, and then I saw a post of them on an Instagram page that just posts only grunge music or 90s relevant, hmm. and this song particularly was the one, so I was like, oh shit, that song's really <laughs> fucking good, because this is where I go back to live music. Yeah. This is why I say with seeing bands like Rage and stuff like that, it's one thing to like watch them on YouTube, it's one thing to like listen to the albums, but when you actually see bands live, it does something. Like Every time I listen to bands afterwards, like, yeah. I just there's something more about them now. And like seeing this live is what made me get back and re-listen to their albums. And this album particularly is really fucking good. The only thing I ever knew about them is their bass player auditioned for Metallica. Yeah, I just saw a post about that too. And it was like really bad. Really bad. Like out of all the auditions, he was the Horrible. worst. Yeah. Like he was even worse than fucking Ziggy, whatever the fuck his name was, yeah. from A Perfect Circle. I'm telling you this though. For someone, when you, me and you have been discussing this, we're getting into the doom metal hmm. uh, genre much more than normal. Check this album out. Isn't this Josh Homme too? No. What band was Josh Homme in? I'm like thinking about this right now. Probably. I don't know. I don't know specifics. This is not a band that I'm not 100% familiar with. He was in like a like a doom type band almost like this. Mm-hmm. It was a band that it was just a one word. Insert, one word insert a uh, Jeopardy. Yeah. Oh, wait. Eagles of Death Metal and Queens of the Stone Age. Hami was formerly the co-founder and guitarist of the rock band Cayuse from 87 to 95. Oh, yeah, you're right. Damn. Mic drop. There it is. (laughs) Learn something new every day. See, man, I I I know I know things. What you don't realize was this was a setup for me to act aloof to that question because now you're finding interest in this band. Maybe well, I don't like Josh Homme. I think he's a jerk off. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll listen to it now. <laughs> he's a jerk off, and the other bases who just couldn't even fucking hack it in the Metallica audition when they literally didn't have. Literally, two fourths of this band already sounds like it sucks. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Um, wait, what the fuck was I going to say? Who played bass? Uh, for Saint Anger, what's his name? The producer. Oh, Bob Rock. Bob Rock. So, for instance, this guy couldn't yeah. match up to the talent. Bob, Bob Rock, Rock was better. Yeah, than Yeah, that's him. what I mean. That's how you know. There was one I video. I promise you, though, this album is good. Please listen. <laughs> All right, me two out. fourths of this are you? Hear me out. Good. I promise you. Um, there was a video I just saw recently of Bob Rock rehearsing with Metallica. <laughs> And I think what song did he actually try to like be a full yes. time? Yeah, I remember that. He too. auditioned for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, come on, he was never getting it. That was no shot. But there was I, I, after the show, I had to pull it up because there was a video of him like trying to sing with James, and like it was like bad, and like Lars was just like looking around like like what the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> we have to watch this. Oh, dude, it was hilarious. Let's put this on now. But we're gonna go watch that. And if you're on YouTube, you just watch this. Thank you for tuning back into another season of Rage Against the Mainstream podcast. We already have a lot of shit ready for this season. And I think I'm going to go out on a, on a limb here and say this might be the best season yet so far. I mean, we're not even anywhere close to even like halfway done the planning. Whoops, we're actually putting I mean, a little bit more effort into our planning yeah. <laughs> for episodes. There's a little more effort. A little bit. Um. So, yeah, I mean, follow us on our social media pages to keep updated on everything. Facebook.com slash RATM podcast. Instagram and Twitter at RATM podcast. Write us an email, uh, RATM podcast at gmail.com. If you're in a band, you have an uncle that's in a band. (laughs) 
Send us your music. We'll review it. We'll give you a spotlight on the show. I mean, you may may or may not like what we have to say about your music, but we'll give you a completely unfiltered, unbiased opinion. Absolutely. RETMPodcast at gmail.com. But until then, this is another episode of Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast for the books. As always, I'm Bill. I'm Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening.